Ethereum 2.0, for those that are not too familiar, since it's such a big overhaul, the way it's going to work is a blockchain that runs in parallel and people can migrate over by sending a certain amount of Ether to become a validator on Ethereum 2.0 to this other blockchain. It's a fairly large roadmap and staking in phase zero is not for the faint of heart. I think it's for people that really understand the risks, the roadmap, and just want to really be there at the forefront. This episode is brought to you by Crypto.com, Bitstamp, and Nexo.io. Hello, everyone. You're listening to Developer Perspectives, Ethereum 2.0 from Coindesk Podcasts. I'm Christine Kim, a Coindesk Research Analyst, and in this series, we'll be discussing the hotly anticipated Ethereum 2.0 upgrade. We'll chat with the folks inside the Ethereum developer community to take a look behind the scenes at what comes next. For this episode, we're going to be talking about the steps leading up to Ethereum 2.0 launch. There's been quite a bit of testing, auditing, and contract creating, as we'll find, that is needed before we see this highly anticipated proof-of-stake blockchain go live on mainnet. So to discuss all this, I'm joined on today's show by Ethereum 2.0 developer at Prismatic Labs, Raul Jordan. Hi, Jordan. Hey, Christine. Uh, great, great to be here. Thank you. I'm also joined by Eduardo Antunia Diaz, the project lead at Dapnode. Dapnode is a startup that builds hardware and software for individuals and businesses to easily connect to decentralized blockchain networks like Ethereum and Ethereum 2.0. Great to have you on the show, Eduardo. Hi, Christine. Thank you. So last week's episode was mainly about the future of Ethereum 2.0 and thinking forward to when all dApps and users on Ethereum today migrate to the new chain. Seeing as the reality of Ethereum 2.0 going live might be sooner than we anticipate, many developers think this year, I want to spend some time talking about how you get a technology like Ethereum 2.0 ready for deployment. Raul, how long have you been building Ethereum 2.0? And what would you say have been the major phases of development you've seen this technology go through thus far? Yeah, absolutely. We've been working on um, Ethereum 2.0 for around two years. Uh, I'd say over two years at this point. Um, so, you know, quick background. So my team, Prismatic Labs, uh, we originally started as a team of volunteers just interested in Ethereum core development. We wanted to tackle the sharding problem. So at that time when we started uh, back in, I think, early 2018, the only resource that existed was an FAQ by Vitalik on how sharding might work in the future of Ethereum. So we kind of just started hacking on that. And as time went on, it gradually evolved into a full-fledged Ethereum 2.0 effort as the research team decided to combine the ideas of proof of stake and sharding into one big unified roadmap that would then become a, basically a formal specification of, of the blockchain and, and, and different teams coming together to build it. So it's been the different phases of development have gone from basically ideation to specification after that to uh, basic prototypes implementations, having conformance testing, so making sure that all the different people that are working on the, on the implementations, they agree with each other so that their client implementations uh, basically agree with the protocol. And finally, test nets. So having the whole uh, phase zero of Ethereum 2.0 implementation running on a test net, at first internally between developers and uh, finally running with the public. So Anyone that's interested can run a node, can participate, can run a validator in the testnet. And that's been kind of the biggest milestone of the whole journey. That happened on August 4th. And the idea is that after three or so months of the testnet running in a stable manner, 
then we can you know we can start the launch preparations so that's that's it's been it's been quite a journey and a long time but honestly really proud of how uh, how everything has coalesced into something pretty unified and i think very solid mhm and you had said that journey started off with this idea for sharding and for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with that term sharding a sharded system raul can you just give a brief explanation of what you meant by that yeah Totally. There's a lot of ways that people have been chatting about scaling Ethereum. Um, a lot of the popular ways are what are through layer two, which means that you know it's the blockchain remains the same, but that you devise some interesting mechanism, kind of off chain, that can help uh, you know scale the blockchain in a, in a somewhat trustless manner. And sharding is a, is basically what we call layer one scaling. So what this means is you actually modify the way the blockchain works at its deepest level to make sure that it can handle uh, a huge load of transactions per second. And you do this by basically basically splitting up the chain into maybe like 64 different smaller chains, um, and each of those run in parallel to each other. So that allows you to process a lot more transactions per second um, as things are running in parallel. It's a very tricky problem and very difficult. And that, that was kind of one of the directions to scale Ethereum 2.0 that was proposed a few years ago by Vitalik. And it's basically now one of the core tenets of Ethereum 2.0. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it's interesting that that idea had really changed how people saw Ethereum 2.0 and its roadmap, as I understand, the introduction of this idea of sharding did rewrite other ones and created kind of a, a different set of expectations for what Ethereum 2.0 would bring. It wouldn't just be a proof-of-stake blockchain. It would be a proof-of-stake blockchain, but also a sharded network. Eduardo, I want to ask for you as well, how long have you been following Ethereum 2.0 development as a member of the Ethereum community. And from your perspective, would you say that over these phases that Raul has described developing the technology, would you say that public perception around Ethereum 2.0 and expectations for it has evolved and changed over the years? Yeah, from the point of view of that note, uh, for us it's quite easy to, to see this expectation growing. Since at the moment that we integrate the Prism client into Damnode, a lot of people start to come in to us to ask about how to run a new, the new testnet or how they can start to prove in. And at the end, Damnode is kind of a hub of applications. And uh, the idea is that everyone, without not too much technical knowledge, be able to, to run a node. And we try to, to increase the adoption of, of a user. And the thing that we, we saw is that a lot of people are willing to run command line instructions to run a node, but uh, most of them don't, don't want to do it or don't, or don't know how to do it. And since the Prism um, first testnet, we, we realized that a lot of people are willing to run these nodes, but for them are also very important to run uh, monitor tools. And at the end, our feeling is that we are also doing a educational purpose in the ecosystem. And we started to follow Ethereum Cloud from the beginning since we want to be as much as possible to the edge of the technology, since we want to make also to try to solve the problem of collusion and make it possible for any kind of switch between clients. And yeah, mainly that we, we try to decentralize and make easy for any kind of user. At the end, we realized that we are uh, seeing a lot of um, Centralization problems, even in Ethereum 2.0, since people are running in 
centralized staking providers or other problems, and we try to to solve to make uh, as easy as possible to run on a standalone uh, client and help the community to grow in that direction. Gotcha. So instead of using a staking as a service provider by going to DAP node, you have an easy, ready-to-go hardware that can run your Ethereum 2.0 node for you and, and without any kind of difficulty messing around with your computer's command line to get it up and running. I thought it was really interesting when you talked about collusion problems. Eduardo, does DAPnode only integrate the Prism client or are there other Ethereum 2.0 clients that users will be able to have a DAPnode box to run? Yeah, right now we are supporting Prism client and also Lighthouse, but uh, we expect to add more, more clients in the, the coming months. The idea is that the people can choose their preference client or be able to, to switch. And we believe that at this point in which we are going to start a, a network, it's very important since this is a critical moment in which more problems can happen. Give you more details, but Medaya had a problem related to, to the time and, and it was a real problem. So I think it's important to provide as much as possible tools to be able to minimize these, these rates for the users. Definitely. More people running their own nodes, more people running different types of clients, I'm sure are both very healthy things for the Ethereum 2.0 network. Raul, given these developments with not only the testnet that you had mentioned was one of the biggest milestones, and then also these new tools like DAPnode, the DAPnode box that's able to run Ethereum 2.0 clients. Would you agree that we are closer now than ever before to actually seeing Ethereum 2.0 go live? And how much longer do you expect it to be before Ethereum 2.0 actually goes on mainnet? Yeah, there's no, there's no doubt about that. I think that uh, even a year ago, um, some of the things that we have today, like, you know, seem extremely far away or, or like it was really hard to make judgment calls on a potential release date because people didn't really have much to base their speculation on. I think like one of the, one of the biggest things that was always dismissed as a pipe dream was having like a public multi-client testnet. People were like, oh, that's, that's not going to happen for a super long time. And here we are. I mean, it's there, there are around four clients on the testnet, which is pretty amazing for a blockchain. You know, most blockchains typically only have one implementation that is that is like stable. So at the moment, we have we have I'd say like four pretty good ones on the testnet, and they're they're basically moving forward every single day. In terms of what's left, so yeah, I can tell you that uh, like like we said, we said around three months from the start of the testnet, uh, barring any like critical failures, like the testnet dies, and it didn't actually. It recovered from one of the worst case scenarios, uh, which was really cool to see. So in terms of what's left for the client teams, basically at this moment in time, we're working on a few final features. So basically uh, having the client teams conform with each other regarding APIs, also making sure that uh, security for users is enhanced. So basically if you switch between one client to another, uh, you run into the risk of potential slashing. So what that means is that you know, you don't want your, your validator running at the, at the same time on two different machines because that can make you lose money and, and it can be really bad for you. So we're making sure that basically all the security holes are, are patched between switching from clients, making sure that's documented, wrapping up some final features. And my team in particular is aiming to do a feature freeze on October 15th. So what that means is that after October 15th, there's no more new features. And at that time, it's all hands on deck to just good, have good documentation, have good user experience, fix up security holes, basically prepare for, for launch. Uh, that's, that's kind of where we are today, if all remains on track. 
and it, the other teams have been instrumental in basically getting there and, and everyone's been doing a pretty great job. So yeah, nowadays there's also a public checklist where you can check uh, kind of the status of launch. Um, it's, it's not exactly publicized. It's more of like a GitHub project board made by the Ethereum research team. So it has some information about, you know, kind of what's left, like what, what, what the research team needs to work on. Essentially, it's a giant coordination problem where, you know, different teams and, and, and the research team needs to come together and, and prepare for something of this launch, of this nature. And three months after the launch of the Madasha testnet would put it somewhere around November or December of this year, which I think is reassuring for people who had expected Ethereum 2.0 for 2020. But I guess we'll see. There's really no telling what's going to happen even further down the road as you guys continue to test and continue to build out these final features. And I'm really glad, Raul, that you had already pinpointed some specific things that the Prismatic team is, is working on in this final last leg of development and that there will be a spec freeze on October the 15th. Eduardo, I'm wondering if there's something similar from Dapnode's perspective. Obviously, you guys have already started sending out devices and boxes with the Ethereum 2.0 Prism client in it already. You said that you guys were looking at, at onboarding new Ethereum 2.0 clients to be able to integrate easily with the Dapnode box. But are there any other tools or features that Dapnode is still working on in preparation for Ethereum 2.0 launch? Yeah, for sure. The, the most important thing that we realized after the first testnet is that the people need to know about the status of the validator. Having a good monitor system and be able to have alarms or be able to know when your validator is down is something that is very important for, for general users and we are working on, on that reaction. And we are also trying to well, trying to finalize our ARM version of Tabnode. So with that, you can use our Raspberry Pi or the other kind of devices to run Tabnode. And also we are trying to integrate the clients on this architecture. Um, yeah, some, some months ago, uh, we get a, a grant from uh, the lockdown and the idea is to create a kind of Raspberry Pi with a lot of resilience. So the idea is to integrate screen and uh, UPS and also uh, having uh, their own internet connection. So with that, we can create a kind of backup system. So at the end, we are trying to put in the hands of the users the, the thing that is more convenient to run and out. That is our purpose. And to be honest, we, we try to listen to what they need. That is our roadmap. Lots of user feedback, I'm sure. Hey listeners, Crypto.com offers one of the most convenient ways to purchase your favorite tokens or cryptocurrencies. It's also one of the most cost-effective ways, with the normal 3.5% credit card fee waived for all crypto purchases. What's more, with Crypto.com's MCO Visa card, you can get up to 10% back on things like food and grocery shopping. When you buy gift cards with the Crypto.com app, you can get up to 20% back. So download the Crypto.com app today and enjoy these offers until the end of September. Bitstamp is the original global cryptocurrency exchange. Since 2011, Bitstamp has been the preferred exchange for serious traders and investors. Trusted by over 4 million customers, including top financial institutions, Bitstamp is built on professional-grade trading technology, their platform is powered by a NASDAQ matching engine, and their APIs are recognized as the best in the industry. Download the Bitstamp app from the App Store or Google Play, or visit bitstamp.net slash pro to learn more and start trading today. That's bitstamp.net slash pro. 
In this crisis, many investors aim to keep and grow their digital assets. Others seek to maximize the yield on their cash. Nexo allows you to achieve exactly these two goals. The company offers instant crypto credit lines against all major cryptocurrencies, with interest rates starting from only 5.9% APR. Nexo also lets you earn up to 10% annually on your fiat and digital assets. What's more, interest is paid out daily, and you can add or withdraw funds at any time. Get started at nexo.io. Raul, it's, it's, it's interesting because when you had mentioned some of the steps that everybody is working towards for Ethereum 2.0 to go live, you hadn't mentioned the deposit contract, but I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about it and what it's supposed to do. Can you explain the steps required to get a deposit contract set up and deployed and also a little bit of what it is? Sure. So some background on what the deposit contract is. Basically, Ethereum 2.0, for those that are not too familiar, uh, will not be a hard fork. So we're not going to be basically announcing a particular block time and being like, hey, we're forking Ethereum and turning it into this like crazy proof of stake uh, sharded network. It's, it's, since it's such a big overhaul, uh, the way it's going to work is kind of like a, you know, a blockchain that runs in parallel and people can migrate over by sending a certain amount of Ether to become a validator on Ethereum 2.0 to this other blockchain. So it's just, at, the, at the start, it's going to be basically a one-way uh, burn. So you send 32 Ether to the smart contract that lives on Ethereum 1.0 called the validator deposit contract. And the nodes, the Ethereum 2.0 nodes, are listening to logs from ETH1. So they're basically checking out like, hey, somebody deposited 32 ETH. Cool, uh, let's verify them and then they can become a validator in, in our blockchain. So it's a, it's a way to onboard people to become validators using the economic value that exists from ETH1. And that, that's a really big uh, coordination task. Uh, we, we need people to agree, you know, to send, send this money to the smart contract. Uh, it needs to be live. It needs to be properly advertised. And it's going to be basically the way we get users and validators into this blockchain to, you know, increase its security pool. It's going to be formally released by the Ethereum Foundation close to the launch date. And once that deposit contract is reached, people can then start sending out their deposits, running their node. One thing to note is that it's, it's basically, at, at least in the short term, it's irreversible. So you cannot really send, cannot really exit and go back with 32 ETH to ETH1, even though it's quite a lot of money. The way it's going to work is that, you know, you're going to be a validator. And then as Ethereum 2.0 develops, once we add shards and we add smart contracts and as, as the blockchain itself matures, you'll have the ability to basically withdraw your gains or, or your whole deposit and, you know, do whatever you want with that ETH. So it's, it's, it's a fairly large roadmap and staking in phase zero is not for the faint of heart. I think it's for people that really understand the risks, the roadmap, and just want to get it, just want to really be there at the forefront. So the deposit contract will be announced, um, you know, over the, coming, over the coming months and go live after that. And presumably this deposit contract is going to be containing all of the ETH from all of the users on Ethereum who want to be Ethereum 2.0 validators. So even after the launch of phase zero, people who want to join in on the network, become a validator, will continue to put in their 32 ETH into this contract. Does all that money just sit there? Will this contract be holding millions of dollars worth of value? and just continue to grow, Raul? Is, is that how it works? Yeah, there, there's no way to retrieve it. There's no way to get it out. Uh, like we mentioned, it's basically considered a burn in the short term. So it's not like there's any sort of admin key or any sort of way to take those funds out. 
there's no way somebody can take all of the ETH that is locked in there, basically. It's essentially lost on ETH1. Um, the way it's going to work is that eventually ETH1 and ETH2, once, once ETH2 evolves more to have smart contracts and all the fancy stuff that we like today, basically ETH1 will be, you know, you can't really kill it, but it'll basically be, be considered uh, abandoned and most people will move to ETH2 and will merge the state of the two blockchains. So all the smart contracts, like, you know, you're in finance, MakerDAO, all those things will also be on ETH2 and it'll just be called Ethereum. And all the Ether that you had will also be on there. You won't lose anything that you previously had. So from the point of view of users, uh, it'll be as if nothing really happened. You'll still continue using dApps the way you do. Um, you'll have the same amount of Ether. So yeah, there's no concern of somebody hacking and stealing everything from the deposit contract. That was my main concern. I was like, what if someone just takes all that ETH lying in that contract? But Eduardo, I'm curious to know also in your mind, having heard what Riles just said about this deposit contract and it being a really key part to actually seeing Ethereum 2.0 go live, are there any concerns or risks in your mind associated with this plan to launch a deposit contract for Ethereum users interested in becoming Ethereum 2.0 validators? I think that Raul explained quite good, and I think there is no risk, to be honest. I think it's more important that the user know what they are doing. They need to understand that they are going to deposit 32 ETH and they cannot go back, and they need to wait. And that is maybe the hardest part or the risky part, that they need to understand perfectly what they are doing or what that means. And that is why we try to put that in the UI of Tabnode, and also the launch part is explaining that quite well. Yeah, mainly, mainly that is for me the, the, the race. People don't know knowing how they are going to do it and how to create maybe the withdrawal keys could be another problem. And that is why we need to create good, good tools and inform people about how to use it and how to this going to happen. And yeah, I think at the end, we are going to see this migration between Zero 1 and Zero 2. And at the end, we are going to have the same tool. So now it's just a matter of time, I think, I hope so. And just to confirm, Eduardo, you don't necessarily need to be an Ethereum 2.0 validator and AKA have staked 32 ETH in order to run an Ethereum 2.0 node, correct? You could still run a DAP node box, connect to the Ethereum 2.0 network and just see how everything is running firsthand, even without being an Ethereum 2.0 validator. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. It's like, I mean, it's like, in Ethereum 1, if you are a miner or you are a just client that you are querying the blockchain. So you can also install a client and, and check the status of the chain at that moment. At the end, it's like, yeah, it's like Ethereum 1 at the end. It's the quite similar concept that you can uh, query a smart contract or you can be staking and validating. At the end, you can do both things. And Eduardo, are you? To that, are you going to be staking or validating on Ethereum 2.0 when it goes live, or and or will you be running a DAP node box to connect to the Ethereum 2.0 network? Uh, I, I think I want to to make both, <laughs> but uh, yeah, for sure I'm going to be part of the network. Um, my, my feeling is that we uh, we have the race that only centralized stake provider are going to validate at the beginning because at the end. It, People don't want to block or wait until two years to use that ETH because it's too much. So that is why we are trying to 
get as much as possible individuals running nodes and staking, because otherwise we are going to have a big centralization problem. Right now, there are discussing some ideas about how to use a withdrawal key and Ethereum address, and that will open the door to other things. But right now, we have some risk of centralization, and that is why we try to make as simple as possible and try to attract more people to, to be a standalone validator. This centralization problem, Raul, how worried are you about this, this difficulty with having, trying to get people to run their own nodes for Ethereum 2.0, even with you know, tools like the DAP node box that Eduardo is talking about? How big of an issue do you think stake centralization will be on Ethereum 2.0? I think I think actually the um, the lockup of basically being a validator in phase zero might play in the favor of decentralization because, like we mentioned, a lot of people that will participate in phase zero are usually hardcore supporters that kind of really believe in the vision and understand all of the risks involved. They you know they they know that their money will be locked in for like a while. So a lot of these people are those that are typically comfortable running running you know running their own node or using something like DAP node instead of relying on a, th- on a third-party service for everything. Granted, there will always be those sort of people, and, and, and I think that, that it's really hard to prevent that. But for phase zero, at least, the correlation I see of the people that are interested in participating in phase zero are those that are somewhat comfortable running their own node or, or believe in running their own node. So that might play in our favor and in the, in the early phases. And in the last few minutes of this show, I do want to give a little bit of time for discussion that will look ahead to what our next week's podcast show will be about. And so next week's show will will be about sharding and scalability. And just while I have you guys here, I want to get your thoughts on a little bit about the current state of scalability of the Ethereum blockchain because of the recent surge in transaction activity, primarily coming from decentralized finance applications. Ethereum users have been feeling the pains of very high network congestion and fees. And this, of course, isn't the first time it's happened on the network. We've seen this happen back in 2017, 2018, during when CryptoCities first launched. And so it seems, you know, something like a problem that's reoccurring. Eduardo, I do want to get your thoughts on this question of how long would you say Ethereum could remain operational for? in its current state? And in other words, you know, what do you think is the runway of Ethereum 1.0 without Ethereum 2.0 now? Yeah, well, it's a good question and it's hard to know because, you know, these uh, the price projects is making the, the cash price crazy and it's hard to know. And one of the problems that we are seeing in the, from the point of view of the clients from Ethereum 1 is that uh, the the DC launch space is growing a lot and this is going to make it hard to synchronize a node. But I think for now we are good and uh, and these new layer two solutions, they are going to help a lot and we are going to increase its adoption during coming months. Mother Labs or Hermes or other solutions are going to happen for sure. And, and I, I also think that they are going to have some space on Ethereum 2. Since maybe for inter-sharing transaction, and so I think at the end this development that is happening right now in the future, we are going to benefit from them, and I hope to see soon more more applications or more users 
because at the end, I think it's more a problem of the, the people not using that the technology because the technology is here right now to, to make a scale emulator choose. Mm-hmm. Layer two technology is able to scale Ethereum now. Raul, do you agree, disagree? What, in your opinion, is the runway of Ethereum 1.0 without Ethereum 2.0? I, I think Ethereum is, is functioning kind of, uh, it's, it's functioning as, as intended. It's just the problem is, is, you know, it's obviously the gas prices just keep going to unreasonable heights, but that doesn't mean that people are going to stop using it. I, I don't think it'll, it clearly didn't affect demand during the, during the DeFi recent bull run that we had. Uh, people were still using it and paying uh, more than $100 uh, for transactions. It clearly did not affect demand. People will just will keep using it as much as they can. I think, um, like Eduardo said, I agree that over the coming months, we're going to see a more adoption of Layer 2, and, and a lot of things are basically being cooked up by the core developers, especially with the EIPs. Uh, and there's an initiative called ETH1.X that is essentially a bunch of improvements to the current uh, Ethereum protocol while, while Ethereum 2.0 is still in its infancy. So really, I think there's a, lot, there's a lot of potential. I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. Network effects are too strong. Uh, people are using it, and that doesn't seem to be slowing down at all. You had mentioned that the recent DeFi craze didn't, while it did clog the network, it didn't you know, impact demand. Did the DeFi craze also increase more pressure on you and your team on the developers of Ethereum 2.0 to speed up, say, the testing or the, the roadmap of Ethereum 2.0 because of how, how quickly this DeFi ecosystem is, is looking to grow on the network? Sure. Yeah, it definitely is. Uh, I guess a healthy, uh, a healthy pressure. I think one one thing that we did notice is, of course, we we get some users or, or people that 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 use Ethereum kind of sometimes lashing out at us, like, "Hey, like, please hurry up! Like, you know, stop being distracted or doing other things." And perhaps those people don't really understand that ETH two is a, a multi year roadmap that is, you know, it incorporates a lot more than just like sharding. So it's difficult, you know, because, you know, we're, we're launching phase zero, but phase zero doesn't really solve uh, the problems of scalability. It's just kind of like the, the foundation of Ethereum 2.0. Then sharding will come along and that'll be cool and helpful, but, you know, it's still not smart contracts. And then once smart contracts come, then yes, then the problems can be solved. But yeah, I guess people, uh, some underestimate uh, just how long the roadmap is. It can be difficult seeing people upset uh, at ETH2 developers for kind of not hurrying up, which I think is, 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 a, is a hard thing to think about. But yeah, we, we always have a healthy sense of pressure in our team to, to proceed and to really, um, really ship, ship things well. Final question for the two of you two and Eduardo would be great for you to start. Looking ahead, you know, with it being potentially years before we see the full integration of Ethereum to Ethereum 2.0, Eduardo, do you foresee any kind of resistance from users on Ethereum today in the future of when that happens for people actually migrating to Ethereum 2.0? Do you think that by that time there could be enough of a activity, a user activity for layer two solutions or say, you know, dominance of popularity for miners on the Ethereum network or something like that? Do you foresee any of those issues actually? creating a sense of resistance from users to actually migrate to Ethereum 2.0 in the future? To be honest, I don't, I don't have that feeling. I think at the end, the migration is going to be something natural or something like that. Yeah, the moment that you have all these DeFi projects or stable coins and all this stuff in Ethereum 2.0, and 
you are going to pay less gas for for doing that. And also maybe I hope that also the, the layer two solution are going to be great to to know. So at the end you are going to have the same with more benefits. So it's going to be hard to not want to migrate. But I don't know you know some people have strong opinions about special specific things and maybe some people don't want to do it. But uh, for me the, the feeling is that it's going to be something natural at the end. Hmm. Anything uh, for in your mind, Raul, that you think would cause resistance from users on Ethereum today to, to actually migrate over to Ethereum 2.0 in the future? The thing is that, you know, ETH Core development in particular has been getting way, way more decentralized over the years uh, to the point where now Ethereum 2.0, well, we have basically a four independent teams developing uh, the, these four clients that are on the testnet. They're not affiliated with the Ethereum Foundation, so they are independent uh, teams that are really working on this on their own, uh, which is really amazing. Like, there, there's no master node. There's nobody that can like convince the community, like, "Hey, everyone, change change to ETH2 today." Like, it's you know, it's decentralized. So there likely will be people that kind of are, are hardcore believers in proof of work and 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 just not using ETH2, and that's totally fine. I mean, we can't really. We can't really kill ETH1 and nobody can really stop it, right? If you want to run a node on ETH1, then, you know, you can run it, right? We can't really stop you. So I would envision, envision that there are those people at the fringe that uh, are hardcore believers in, in the proof-of-work ETH1 chain that will remain. Aside from that, there's really no incentive to remain uh, on ETH1. And like we mentioned, for users, it will be fairly transparent. So it'll just be Ethereum um, in the future. There's no... You know they'll have all access to all the DeFi projects that they that they that they use, all the all the different DApps that they use. Uh, they'll have their ethers still. So really, it's it's in their best interest uh, economically and just technologically to switch. Like I said, I would envision that only people at the fringes would be running the ETH1 proof of work chain if they want to. Thank you so much, Raul and Eduardo, for giving me your thoughts and sharing with me your insights about the roadmap to Ethereum 2.0 launch. It seems like I'll have to have you guys back on to talk about the roadmap to Ethereum 1, Ethereum 2 migration when we're about three months out from that actually happening. So I really appreciate your guys' time and giving a little bit of uh, perspective on how everything's supposed to pan out for Ethereum 2.0. This has been another episode of Developer Perspectives, Ethereum 2.0. For everybody that is listening, you can find social media links to connect with Raul and Eduardo in today's show notes. Once again, I'm Christine Kim, a research analyst at Coindesk. And if you haven't already, please do check out our Ethereum 2.0 explainer report, which is available now and free to download on the Coindesk website. The report does feature additional commentary from Ethereum 2.0 developers and cool visualizations further explaining the dynamics of the network. You can stay up to date with the Coindesk research team and be the first to hear about our new reports, webinars, and definitely new podcast episodes on Twitter by following at Coindesk Data. Thank you again so much, Raul and Eduardo. Pleasure. Thank you so much, Christine. And yeah, thank you. Thank you for hosting. And thank you everyone for listening. Talk to you guys next time.